Folks, I've got a really exceptional guest today with just a fascinating background story. I hope you enjoy uh, hearing uh, his, his journey as much as, as I do. I have Derek Wang, founder and CEO of Stratified. Uh, Derek and Stratified have achieved all sorts of accolades uh, recently as one of Charlotte's brightest and fastest growing success stories. Uh, multiple fintech related awards, recognition as I believe the second fastest growing company in Charlotte. Um, it'll be first next year for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and, and most impressively, they recently closed a $30 million Series B led by Georgian Partners. We'll talk a lot about what Stratified does, but at its core, it's a machine learning and artificial intelligence company. And GP, uh, Georgian Partners, has started to emerge as really a powerhouse in, in AI. So securing such a large round so early in its existence is a huge accomplishment. Derek, congrats on, on all of the success and thank, thank you, you for joining me. Uh, Absolutely. Please tell the audience what Stratified is and why you started it. Yes, Stratify, we are a AI-powered uh, platform that helps enterprise to extract all the voice of customers mm -hmm. in an autonomous way and then deploy that to fit into your workflow. So what at the core we were helping people to address is what we really hold on hard to our heart is augmented intelligence. Mm -hmm. So we believe that organization already have the manpower to look and making decision. What has been limiting them is the access to data access to model, access to machine learning Absolutely. that can augment the decision-making process and make it autonomous and workflow-driven. That's great. Um, so just full disclosure for, for everyone, I've been doing advisory work for about five months for Stratified and Derek, so I do have a, a financial relationship here. Um, and we are uh, recording today in the Stratified office in, in Charlotte. So before we talk more about your company, let's start by talking a bit about two really important themes that I think uh, apply here. Um, number one, uh, you came to this country to study and you stuck around to start a company, correct? Yep. So in other words, you're an immigrant founder. Um, yes. Can you speak a little bit to what attracted you to this country, this state, and UNCC in, yeah. in particular? Ab absolutely. Uh, born and raised in Beijing uh, when I was 21 year old. So uh, right out of my college, I, was, uh, I went to Motorola as a full-time uh, engineer uh, in Beijing. Um, being young and looking at that is really start realizing life is, hey, being have a college degree and just working as an engineer is not where my dream go. Mm -hmm. I still fulfill there's a lot of vacancy, what we can be or what I can be in terms of knowledge, in terms of uh, the viewpoint of the world. So after that year, I decided to say, hey, really, I want to try something new. I want to go to a different uh, continent and see what's going on. And then America being there is just really a staple that people mm -hmm. always want to say, hey, pursue your higher education. So what drove me over to the States was to pursue my PhD mm -hmm. um, and, and that time. Did you know you wanted to start a company at that point? No. Or, okay, not so at it was all. just strictly for the education. It's strictly at that point. for the education, strictly for the personal growth back then. And I always, like I said, very transparently, any founders who say, hey, 10 years ago, I don't want to start a company, <laughs> I, I think it's total BS there. Sure. Um, it's life, just different <laughs> things going forward on things. So I got here about 13 years ago, uh, really with quite a few offers that uh, really give us a full ride. But one of the criteria I chose Charlotte was I want a full immersive American experience, right? The free of the land and uh, people coming here, but lesser really going back to my original communities, 
but going to more immersive with the local community that I can learn and grow. And amongst all that offers, Charlotte came up, mm -hmm. right? At that point, one of the interesting part was selecting Charlotte. So frankly, back then, oh, 2006, we don't know where Charlotte is. I, <laughs> I don't know what's any good about Charlotte. Me and my father, we actually went down Wikipedia, really wiki Charlotte. And then it's, it's, this is little things happen in life. So when he saw the Wikipedia, there's the Charlotte Hornets. Back then, it was still Hornets. And uh, he actually went to the other room, brought out a basketball that has Charlotte Hornets logo on it. Oh, wow. This is he won <laughs> a kind of a raffle in one of NBA games. And sure. they gave uh, the Charlotte Hornets. We'll be like, bingo, let's go there. <laughs> so that's part of why I landed in Charlotte. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's great. So in our country, uh, in, in the past few years especially, there's been an awful lot of rhetoric about immigration, um, both both legal and, and illegal. And and um, how much of this do you treat as, as just noise? And how much is actually telling someone like you who's bright, talented, hungry to change the world uh, that you're not welcome in the U.S.? Is, is, do you think that we're sending that message with some of the rhetoric that's out there right now? Um, so it's a very sensitive uh, conversation there. From my own personal opinion, I think U.S. is built based on immigration, mm -hmm. right? Immigrants 200 years ago came here, built a great country as it is. I think by turning away that people who share the same dream, share the same intellectual capability, it's not a sound process. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not going to the legal versus illegal part, but more so from the foundations of the striving of a diverse country. Mm -hmm. I think U.S. will strive more was more diverse and more inclusive. Um, so quite frankly, where I'm looking at it, stratify as we're doing the global expansion, you start seeing different countries at different immigration uh, perspectives, like our next door neighbor in uh, Canada, right? Mm -hmm. Canada is basically open border, trying to invite as many of people going over there. And you start seeing the city become thriving. You start seeing sure. Toronto being a very uh, inclusive city that intellectual capability, the workforce going up. I think U.S. has a great foundation of immigrants, um, and uh, still it will not stop other countries to people coming from other countries join That's here. That's great. Um, I think it, the the fact is, can we retain them? Right. One of the practical challenges running what we are seeing here is compared to Europe, who is a little bit more strict uh, in terms of post your education, post graduation, can people find a job there? I think U.S. is actually sitting in the middle, but we can do better. We can always do better in a more peaceful and legal way. Yeah, it would be really unfortunate if we lost this dynamic advantage because um, not, not only were we started by immigrants, but when you think of some of the greatest companies that are out there, Apple, Tesla, started by folks who came Even from... Even with the <laughs> recent IPO success, Zoom. Zoom, Zoom exactly. is a great... So I know, Eric, you am pretty uh, well in our uh, personal and co-investment uh, side of the house. He got denied eight times wow. when he applied visa to the States. Wow. And he is determined came here, right? If yeah. there's anything didn't happen in that process, we're not going to have Zoom. Our communication will be as sure. shitty as it was. <laughs> yeah, as terrible as it was, absolutely. And it, yeah. I, you know, I, I didn't know a whole lot about Zoom, but read recently, just a fascinating company, really well-run company from, from day one. So it's great that, that they had the success that they did with the IPO. Um, 
So the second thing I wanted to talk about before, before we get into uh, what, what the company does, um, you came out of academia, as we've discussed. Why is it so hard for colleges, especially outside of Silicon Valley schools, to incubate successful businesses? Hmm. And, and what was different for Stratified and for UNCC? Yeah, I think, well, I, I again, I can only speak for my experience, right? Um, I think uh, universities and academias are primarily focusing on mass education, mm-hmm. uh, advance of science. Um, in terms of from university to commercialization, there is a leap of faith. There is the opportune time for people to start doing that. And I think... Um, in terms of North Carolina, our system is getting way better than it was before. Mm-hmm. Uh, my colleagues at business school start doing more entrepreneurial program, were more focusing data science and initiatives. That has been um, upward trending. And uh, I think it's really uh, encouragement and the environment that you have been fitting in, right? For example, this is a good or bad in the Valley. Anybody in Valley knows they're in a startup hot bad. So everybody wants to start something. Sure. Um, the good side is they want to start something. The downside is the turn of those folks is sure. going to be super high. Here, I think it starts striking a good balance is how many people really want to get out of here as the success of Map Anything, Avid Exchange, Passport, all those great companies that are showing up, Red Ventures. Uh, level, uh, people start having that mentality is, hey, I can start something, but still in a more uh, well-thought-out, more rigorous way. Um, But the other piece of what I've seen in this, I think is very important for people to take away with, is the funding situation, right? In North Carolina, we're not uh, historically well-known for a venture funding uh, landscape that can encourage uh, and then making people flourish in startup. I think that's changing towards the better side as well. And also with- We're gonna talk about that in a little bit as okay, well. Cool. So that's yeah, definitely but I think one that that's I wanna a, pick your brain on. Yeah, uh, that's another, uh, I think, observation I have. Yeah. So, so let's go ahead and just jump right into that. Let's talk about raising money in Charlotte. And I hear people complain often about raising money here. Um, I happen to think this is oftentimes a bullshit argument. I point to you, Tresada, Map Anything, Avid, Passport, Pazer, and, and, and a handful of others who have raised money. Now, none of them, in most cases, raised any, any of that money in Charlotte. But, but the fact remains that they, all of those companies have been able to raise substantial amounts of money and, and drive really fascinating growth. Um, but can you speak a little bit to what challenges being in Charlotte may have presented in terms of raising capital? And you've done an A and a B round, so maybe you could talk about that dynamic as well, how it might have changed from the first round to the second round. Right. Um, well, again, from our personal, uh, my personal experiences, uh, hate the player, don't hate the game, right? Yep. There's, there's always that mentality going. It's a push and pull relationship about where you can raise money and what stage you can raise what amount that is looking at it. Um, I think to raising money, the, the number one thing is to show that your idea really have a commercial value out of it, right? Mm-hmm. It's venture invest, uh, investors are not just throwing money at everybody. They want to see a return and they're mm-hmm. very um, strict if they're institution, they have a strict uh, kind of ma- uh, mandatory returns in five, seven, 10 years in terms of their funds. Um, where I've seen is it's really 
It's really a field transition early on when, when we started the first seed round funding. Essentially, what we're looking at this is, hey, back in 2014, we have a few uh, dances with uh, local investment firms, um, angels and uh, early stage. The challenge that I have seen is how people, um, what's their risk appetite? So that's mm -hmm. always when I see different investors. Um, there may be groups, there's nothing right or wrong about any of this. It's different pro, uh, pro, uh, profiles and risk tolerance. Here, people are leaning, more leaning towards the conservative side. People want to see, hey, you have some revenue, you have proven that you could do this, and you have proven that you have a downstream folks that will buy your product, that will give you, make you sustainable. They want to wait a little bit, let the nature weed out, uh, the survivor or you know sure. the early stage then they put money in. and I'd, I'd like to talk about that specifically with with stratified and you know you're, you're transitioning from university to starting a company uh, you raised a small amount of friends and family money correct that's a we never did friends and family this okay. is all we went on institution our first round okay got it okay um, how did you know what to do then? Because here you are, a university professor who yeah. <laughs> decides to start a company in a country that he's only moved to very recently. How did you, how did you know how to do that? I, and that, that's a very interesting. So <laughs> uh, at the university, what I did a lot was uh, apply for federal grants okay. and then building up a research team, delivering what we promised in the grants, and then repeat that, right? So the way that I've done that for three years or three and a half it's really at the end of the day, I think about, huh, starting a startup, this is quite similar, mm -hmm. yeah, right? You have federal to give you money. Then in the startup, you want to have institution or VCs to give you money. And you still need to build a team. And you still need to build a team in the uh, startup setting. And you still need to deliver what you promised. So that actually helped me a lot in mentally of thinking, oh, okay, Really, it's not about the money, and it's not about the product. At the end of the day, it's really about who you can sell this to, right? A sure. lot, very beginning of Stratified, the time I spend a lot is thinking about who can you leverage our platform to get better. And we didn't really raise money until where we had almost two onboarded clients, Lenovo and Ally, towards okay. the end of 2014, we'll be like, oh, interesting. People want to buy. I think it's time to accelerate the buying process and going out. And this is sometimes uh, younger startup or entrepreneurs come to me. Mm -hmm. I'll be very frank about them. Hey, great. You're a different stage of your raising money. Are you just conceptually thinking this would work? Then I will encourage you to spend at least a bit of time to analyze your market. Mm -hmm. See what market response is. Even if you are not selling a single dime in there, trying to see who are similar companies and what they have done, at least as a proof point of saying, hey, listen, I have this great product. This is the market I can go capture, right? Yep. Everybody as an investment side want to know, um, frankly, what is the marketing cap that you will have, right? Uh, a different, again, back to the dis different risk appetite. Somebody just want to see, hey, you made the first cent or somebody who say has conceptual level, and because I know this industry really well, I see your mapping of this. I see you're thinking about it. Give me the number that I can start calculating sure. and return it. So we once we got the, our initial field clients, we start raising money, making the conversation a lot more easier, right? It's, it's really about, hey, you not necessarily only have a product. 
you have a somewhat, it's now well sought out, and uh, I guarantee you we have changed a lot, sure. even we're still pivoting and expanding as our go-to-market strategy right now uh, on a daily basis to prove point that there are people willing to buy it. Mm -hmm. then that makes conversation so much easier. Absolutely. Well, and especially you mentioned Ally and Lenovo. Those are two, right. two big names. I think that's a lot of validation. So that, that probably helps make, make things a little easier for you. Um, so was the, what was the size of the first round? I know the more, Our the first round is about a million dollars. About a million? million dollars. Okay, got it. Um, so... And, and then was there a seven million dollar round after yes. that? Yes. So okay. there's uh, so we done four rounds, one okay. mil, and then the three point four, and then uh, six point nine, okay. and then to the recent round. Excellent. Um, and plus, one of the things I would say this is as a I would say to people who are from entrepreneurship looking at this, round numbers are great. So the first round we actually raised literally is nine hundred seventy-two, uh, seventy-five thousand dollars. Oh wow! I, if I knew better, <laughs> I would say I'll get another twenty-five, make it a million. Make it a million because <laughs> uh, it's harder to say. So odd numbers in there, it just yeah. it's interesting. So so what were the milestones, or what were the what was the focus coming out of each of those rounds? So you raise a million. I take it you're you're spending a lot on product and R and D. The 3.4, the 7, or, or is that building marketing? Is it building sales? Can you maybe talk about what, what each of those represent? That's great. And, John, you've been running companies from ground up to 200 people, and you understand the, the kind of the timing, right? Mm -hmm. So for us, I call this actually stratified, uh, ver three versions of stratified uh, in terms of this. We always a product-driven company, and mm -hmm. will we will always be a product-driven company because I firmly believe product is what we bring the end user and yep. think from their behalf for them to get satisfied and using us more. Um, yes, the first round was primarily, I wouldn't not just say primarily, almost 100%, I would say 90, 95% on product scalability, product version uh, upgrades, because initially when we started this, our focus is only on textual analysis, right? Mm -hmm. Textual data analysis, looking at that. But really when we prototype it was in a, a desktop setting. Yeah, okay. We started with a Java version. And I don't think I ever saw the that no, version. No, you would, you would <laughs> never saw the first version. I would not show it anymore. <laughs> but we started with a Java version. We sold the Java version to them and they start looking at it. Oh, this is interesting. So this was like a Java SWT or this is Java actually swing, literally like, no Java uh, desktop. Java, oh, yeah, yeah, Java desktop. What, yeah, yeah, yes. Okay. It's, it's yeah. not even their swing set that can oh, be put on. <laughs> it's not even you can put it on the, the browser. It's a pure wow. heavy lifting Java desktop version, oh, but with cloud backing about <laughs> it, right? Now that that money is when we first got our UX, UX developer come in, we decided, hey, listen, we need to put this onto the web. So that's the four months period. We'll put everything onto the web okay. and then people can start easily accessing it. And we have ever, everything that we made a conscious decision not to buy into any cloud service. So a lot of heavy development on our end is become cloud agnostic, okay. but we still deploy it on Amazon. We still let people using it. Mm -hmm. That's the first tranche of money and we spend very minimum to get marketing and sales. I'm mm -hmm. primarily the sales folks. We don't have a marketing folk um, until like two rounds later. Okay. So this is the nice thing I start. That was time if I looking back and start tracing it, that was time I started understanding the value of some early investors, right? Because the early investor, when they invest in you, they're not just give you dumb money. And, and I think for everybody who want to raise money, just be cautious about that, right? You don't want to get some 
just dumb money, yeah, right? It's, very it's good all, so all the network that come into this. Then what happened is from our seed round to our pre-A round, um, I didn't really spend much of effort. Is the pre-A round lead investor look at us and say, hey, you guys seems interesting. Mm -hmm. Here is three some million dollars. Do you want to take it? And wow. that valuation, <laughs> that, that round was the easiest one. Okay. That amongst all this, uh, but it gave us a lot of returns in the lags where we are. We did not run out of money. Always being cash efficient is very important for us. So I was like, hmm, that sounds good. Just I'll take it. And it closed within months and a half. So wow. they were like, yeah, literally this is the, they, they are very betting on at that point is the first, what I realized is once you risk money, the CEO's job is find the right talent mm -hmm. and then keep the right talent. And that's all the best thing you can do, right? They say the team, they love the so team. Let's talk about talent for a second. When did you bring Brad on? Was that after the, the Brad was after the 3.4. So okay. Brad is after the pre-A round where really- Brad, Brad Fleeman is, uh, is, is the chief revenue officer here. Yes, and yes. It was a great hire back there. And I spent a lot of time yeah. finding it. I'll tell you that story later. <laughs> but uh, really it was um, before Brad, when we have a product market fit that we start showing more our web-based system, more use cases came out of our early clients and we would just went back. And you ought to think about some good VCs, they can make decisions like that, right? So I presented on a Friday, lunchtime to their uh, partner. Mm -hmm. And uh, Sunday, Saturday morning, they did two back-to-back -back client reference calls. I got term sheet by noontime sun Saturday. Wow. And wow. we signed it on Monday. The money was wired a week later. So for the folks listening who haven't raised money before, that's that's unheard of. At a, that's at very a rare. <laughs> well, uh, Georgian is, is almost the same way. Okay. It, was, it was almost the same way. But once you find the right investor, it's like the chemistry is there, right? Sure. They like you, you like them. Everything goes smoothly uh, afterwards. Sure. Um, oh, that's, that's great. Maybe... Um, well, actually, you had to change the name at some point because I think it was called Taste Analytics when, yeah. I, when I first met you. Um, I've done three name changes in companies I'm associated with, so I know that can be painful. But can you talk about that experience of, of changing the name? Yeah, and, and I would not take credits to me on that. I would say this is Brad's credit. Uh -huh. So what we started with was Taste Analytics, right? Why we call it Taste Analytics is actually strictly focusing on emphasizing the interplay between human and the data mm -hmm. and really helping them to do the analytics. Um, but, but the funny part of this, again, this is all random things that happen in life. So when we got the investment money, we're, we're a Delaware C-Corp. So we're trying to register Taste Analytics as a C-Corp in Delaware. But we got rejected by North Carolina because they were saying, hey, you have taste analytic limited liability. You can't have a C-Corp with the same name. Oh, wow. So I remember the time Toma Lee and some early folks were kind of brainstorming, like, what is the cool name we can have? <laughs> so we came up with Stratify, right? Stratify is really in a mathematical way of saying you got layers upon layers of data, how you make sense out of it. Sure. Of no, course, Stratify name. is yeah. taken. <laughs> Oh. So, yeah, <laughs> I, even in the normal English spelling, stratify with the past tense is uh, taken. So it's a, it's a glimpse of brilliancy that I like in my life. I say, 
yeah, we're a cool young startup. Let's remove the IE. Let's put the Y in there. It so sounds it's very Web 2.0. Yeah, it's really like the West Coast <laughs> thing. And nothing went through. So we always had the stratified name as a very early inception of the company, C Corp in Delaware. Now, uh, Brad came in uh, April 2016, where we formulated back to earlier comments is your go-to-market strategy always optimize and expand. We decided we're only going to after enterprise. Mm -hmm. And Fleeman came from CA Technology, great enterprise sales folks come in. First thing he looked at this is taste analytics versus stratified <laughs> and really send that to a few of their uh, networks. Sure. He came back to me, Derek, we need to change the name. Taste sure. analytics doesn't ring any, <laughs> any good sense to people. As well as if you know iPhone story we had before, the cutoff on the name really just confusing as to others. Sure. Then he pushed to change stratified. I think that's a great move of yeah. the company. We rebranded uh, just then and there, right? Okay. Speaking of good younger company and you've been through is you can rebrand as that sure. and <laughs> it's easier to go in that. Um, yeah, we did do a name change. That's great. That's great. So Brad's done a lot of really good good things for the company, but I think it's safe to say that was one of the one of that the was the first moves. order yeah, of first uh, order of business yeah. for him. So that's great. Well, maybe could you talk about the first client sale? Um, not specific of of who it was, since many of your clients are sometimes secretive about that. Although I guess you did tell us uh, two, two in there, the the first two. But maybe um, talk about how you found them. Um, how did you? How did the conversation go? Did they know that they're patient zero? You know, how how do you convince them to to, to take on this risk? And and uh, and also maybe talk about did you have to give special pricing? Because a lot of times we we do that for our first couple customers. Right. So. I think for anybody who want to make the first sale, nothing comes easy, right? Mm -hmm. The the client sale part is always hard. And um, for Lenovo, um, which is, I think, besides Lowe's, they're actually our first commercial partner working with us. Um, it took us about six, seven months wow. to get that deal done, right? Um, really, the fact there is not about the product, it's not about... Uh, them it, it's not about what they have were using it's all combined factor it's about people relationship it's about understanding what their practice was and how stratify platform can optimize if not augment what they have so it, it's a lot of driving up to raleigh driving up to durham to mm -hmm. really sit down with the management team for that opportunity to start listening their uh, concerns about their current practice, start kind of inserting what we can do. A lot of the education pieces will go through there. Um, and also one of the things is don't get afraid of talking about pricing, right? Sure. Understand what their appetite is, understand what their budgets are, work with them because having that big entity working with us, the logo itself brings more uh, validation than the actual dollar amount you pull in. Absolutely. So be flexible on the first one. It's actually taking quite a bit of um, understanding, talking, discussion, learning, optimizing through all that six, seven months. And, um, and again, at the end of the day, I think timing is everything, right? Mm -hmm. Timing is about, hey, who are they using? Are they tired about it? What is the challenges sure. they have and where Stratify can bring to them? Uh, it's always a good timing to go into that. Um, so that's where the, the first client was acquired in, in that process. Great. Um, 
So, so we hear the terms AI and machine learning thrown out a lot. <laughs> yeah. Every day. Um, can you give me your definition of, of each and maybe talk about why there's so much fear and so much hype on each of them? Of course. So for us, really, our AI stands for augmented intelligence, mm -hmm. right? Stratified is trademark on that. That's all our product is looking for is we think a lot of people talking about AI. Think about the doomsday AI where you have the AGI, artificial general intelligence that replaces everybody. Sure. But my viewpoint of this is that's not going to happen in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. If it happens, good. You're already answering one of my next questions. This is good. <laughs> Great. Um, but really what's important asset, and that's a lot of missing part in people talking about AI, especially in the analytic and enterprise uh, landscape, are the human, are the people, mm -hmm. right? We are here to help humans who make better decisions. I firmly still believe that it's the people who will make the decision and what we have provided to them are all the ingredients and all the insights and to help them to see a 360 degree view of what's happening, whether you go left or you go right, mm -hmm. based on the data points, is your business users who understand the initiative of a corporate to go that route. So again, our AI is augmented intelligence. Now in terms of pure academic term, AI and machine learning, is relatively interchangeable in a lot of that. Why it became more prominent and why it's more hyped is the upgrade of hardware, right? So all the neural network that people has been raving about, at least in the past five, eight years, is not new. Sure. Back in 1980s, they were have all those neural network models came out the challenge back then is they didn't have that computational power like we sure. do today. So those algorithms can run as effectively as they can today. Now, now we have the better computation. Companies like us can be flourishing on top of it because fundamentally what I really show and talk to the clients is you shouldn't really worry about what algorithm you're using because the computation need to be invisible. You don't even need to know sure. are you running a GPU cluster or are you running all that because it's frankly, it's commoditized. It's a company on the application level to say, you know what, let's exhaust it for you. Let's mm -hmm. make every possible way that you want to use it yep. so that you are focusing on the business decisions. Let us worry about all the dirty works that it is. Yeah. Um, that's why it's hyped up, it's a computation upgrades. Okay, very interesting. AI has um, been a lot of the popular, or a lot of the the mainstream press talks about AI being a job killer, and I want you to take both sides of the argument, if if you don't mind. Why is it a job killer, and and yeah, and and why is it not a job killer? Because uh, we we hear this with a lot of technologies, and it's never really held true that we've put everybody out of work. No. So I'd, I'd like to hear both sides of the argument, if you don't mind. Well, yeah, absolutely. So um, I wouldn't say is a job killer at all. So really re refer this back to what I'm looking at is um, it's optimizing the workforce in the way where it re removed the mundane work mm -hmm. out of the workforce, but letting us as a business owners to do more uh, decision-making to do more higher-level works, right? So even here, where I'm comparing to is back to the uh, 
thousands of years ago where China is, right? Mm -hmm. It's all about using a lot of labors to build the Great Wall, right? You have sure. thousands of people that is forced to build the wall and it's going forward. Now with the cranes, with all the automated tool sets, building that is more of a tool technology problem rather than a human problem. AI is the next revolution of that, right? Yeah. Essentially, we're taking people out of doing the cumbersome and laboratory, um, laborious jobs to sure. get all the data process and everything. Well, one of the things you've taught me that, that the platform does a fantastic job on is, and, and this is a problem for some AI engines, is that they introduce human biases. Right. And, and, and I know that your approach is always, let's start with unsupervised so that let's we don't introduce any biases. Correct. Right? Let's yeah. let the data to yep. whisper in your ears, so to speak, and show you what's out there. And I think the what's the greatest part of any business owners or users or human is making decision, right? Sure. The, the, that's one thing fundamentally I do not think computer can overcome mm -hmm. and become as that is the creativity. So when you think about decision-making, it's actually two parts, art plus science, right? Equals mm -hmm. decision-making. And what we have been doing as augmentation is to work on the science part. We want the science part to be minimum mm -hmm. effort possible so human can come in pride the art part for the decision-making. Now, what it will definitely shift is the training of the workforce, right? That's picking up my professorship title at the university. You start seeing you're no longer trying to educate the, the young talents just on how you program something, just mm -hmm. on how you do the hard work of you know X, Y plus Z, that sort of thing, but more so start to focusing on a T-shaped talents that you want to educate on, which has a broad spectrum about acumens, decision-making, but we will have verticalized um, depths of knowledge in terms of computation or in terms of business ownership so that they can leverage what's out there to make better, to make broader sure. impacts of the society. So it's a combined factor about what the organization is going to hire and how this individual will flourish in this. And if I fundamentally believe AI is to help the workforce become better instead of really killing jobs because there will be new jobs being created sure. in, in terms of all this. Now, and, and I couldn't agree with you, agree with you more. I don't think this time is different. I think that, I, I think that AI might be scary because it's, it's, it's maybe doing things that historically have always been done by humans. Right. But we, we don't lament the loss of, of, of people who were driving horse-drawn carriages. That, that is not a profession anymore, but that doesn't mean that we don't have a thriving economy. Right. And, I, I, but but I will take the f the flip side of, of the argument just for to be devil's advocate. If if we do get fully autonomous cars at some point, there are two, three, four million drivers out there. Mm -hmm. I think I think in the short run, it has potential to do to do some damage to certain job categories and just make them disappear. But I, again, I don't think that's anything different than what we've seen. With, with other technologies. Any industrial revolution, you start seeing the shifting of this, right? So yeah. if we're just thinking about the 4 million uh, autonomous dry, uh, cars on the road, who is going to maintain them? They sure. still need more mechanics, right? Yep. That's going to be a, a more jobs in that sector. Sure. You may have some automation on the manufacturing pipeline, but quality control, all that is always be there. Sure. And then there's going to be a lot of human insertions in those process right mm -hmm. there is still 
like I would still think no matter how uh, younger generation you are, you want to interact with people. Yes. At the end of the day, you still <laughs> want to interact with people. And uh, that warrants that everything will still have a human touch in the process. Sure, absolutely. Um, and by the way, until McDonald's can start automatically serving me hamburgers, <laughs> I don't think autonomous vehicles are going to be that. <laughs> so I, I think the other thing that makes this such a hard conversation is if I ask you what are the jobs that will be taken first by artificial intelligence, you've got a pretty good idea. These, these jobs are going to go away because you're – it, it doesn't mean that you don't create new jobs. It just means that you're no longer going to need to do these things. That's fairly easy to, uh, for, for folks in the industry to figure that out. But if I were to ask you, where does AI create new jobs 10 years mm. from now? That's very hard to answer, and it always has been. It's very hard to visualize what are the new jobs that come out. Right. Nobody 15 years ago would have known that being a social media coordinator was even a job, right? Correct. And nobody could have ever <laughs> predicted that. And I think, I think that's, that's why this is so scary for folks. Um, but, but again, I agree with you. I think this is a, a net positive for, for humanity and for, I for, agree. for our economy. And I think it's, it's also to the point where, like, it, it's people, what, what's, uh, speaking of that, it's going to where I'm seeing is the quality of life, right? Mm -hmm. You want AI to improve your quality of life. Yes. There are things where, to your point early on, is why there's autonomous cars, because it actually will be safer. Absolutely. Right? It will be safer for people to, all the cars to talk to each other and then be on the road and always eyes on the road. So I think the way that the the, the in my opinion about looking at the AI revolution or revolution in all, it's not really about AI. It's how different disruptive technologies trying to make our life easier, make more fair for people like Twitter coming out, right? Your voice can be heard. That's never, like people always wanted it sure. until technology showing them they can't do this they will not be able to know that's some area they want it to be. Yeah, I agree. And, and the Twitter example is great, right? Like, how could we ever have had the, the revolution that's happened with the Me Too movement and giving voice to all of these, Correct. All of these women and who have been abused? That yeah. what, how could that have possibly happened without a Twitter, without a Facebook, without the social media technologies? Correct. And so right. that's, I look forward to the day when we see these things that we did, these you know, other types of things that come out of the AI revolution that we just can't envision right now because we don't know where these technologies can take us. And, and that's absolutely right. So one of our initiative in our company is talking about ecosystem, right? Mm -hmm. So we start seeing we are good at building out the entire workflow using AI algorithms and data sets and et cetera, and letting the business units insert what they can do. Now with the ecosystem, we're saying, hey, let's package that all into SDK. Mm -hmm. So the brilliancy of any listeners of this could start leveraging that to build your own apps, yep. right? Essentially, that way is the brilliancy, the art still at the human level. We can help you to fulfill that. And that's a flourish. Yeah. There's a lot of things we can like we can't really see. Sure. I can't really see that. And, and I'm gonna I'm gonna hit on hit on um, ecosystem in a bit here because I do want to I do want to dig in into that because I, I I think it's fascinating what 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 we're doing here at Stratified with that. Um, and you talked a little bit about this, but I'm gonna expand a bit on part of the conversation earlier. Um, and this is just an observation or theory that I've kind of been developing over the last 15 years practicing technology. I've been doing it longer than that, but it, 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 I've really started to see it over 15 years. And it, it really seems like in IT, we go through waves of innovation in different fields, during which bottlenecks are broken and new ones appear. Um, 
I would argue in the early days the processor was the bottleneck. We simply could not process massive amounts of data with the processors right. that, that we had. And, um, and obviously Moore's Law took over and really drove a lot of the, 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 the technology revolution that we've seen over the last 30 or 40 years. Um, as processors got fast and cheap, uh, memory size became an issue. We, we just couldn't load enough da data into memory to process it. And again, we had a similar uh, breakthrough in terms of memory size, speed, right. and, and pricing. <clears throat> right. At some point, disk space started to matter. Um, it, you know, we, we just didn't have the storage capacity to, to, to store all of the data that we were now able to start thinking about processing. And so you saw a revolution in disk. And now you don't even think about disk and really as a yep. cost. It's, yep. it's, just, it's, it's just there <laughs> and it's, it's very easy to manage. Yep. Um, and it seemed to me that the next wave was really the tooling to process data in a massively distributed fashion. So I'm talking about Hadoop and then Spark and Kafka and some of the, some of the real-time and streaming technologies and, and especially the data visualization tools. And again, you can't, I couldn't imagine that Hadoop or Kafka take off in a world where, where the processors are, are crap and, yeah. and, and the data. So, so it's, it's just a series of bottlenecks to me. And sometimes you go back to where something that wasn't a bottleneck before, you fixed it, and then you've then improved some other technology. And now all of a sudden you need to go back and fix the other technology. So it really evolves really together. Um, and, and I like what you said earlier. The, the ML and the AI algorithms, I, I, my understanding as a non-data scientist is that many of them were in place and functional 20 years ago, but we just didn't have all of the other technology. Um, and, and I think the other thing is the economics of computing have just yeah. changed with public cloud and, and elastic pricing. Um, and, and that also feeds into the algorithms becoming feasible. So I, I know you already touched on some of that. Do you think I've gotten this mostly right, or is there anything else that you would add into there, any other... Um, uh, variables in the equation that, that made this the moment that AI and machine learning finally are, are a real thing? No, I think you got it absolutely right, right? This is, uh, I, I think it's more of a chicken and egg problem. Sure. Um, I'm glad our solution back in 1976 is about the chicken problem, right? You got, <laughs> you got the massive machines there. It could do yeah. the process very slowly, but it, it got everything. That gave us the glimpse of hope. Mm -hmm. And um, so now if you look at that, my way of this is the hardware race on the more slow law has already coming to an end because mm -hmm. it's harder to push the frequency clock. Yeah, what right? are they at? Eight nanometers? Yeah, so exactly. You had that production <laughs> is a, a, a absolutely absurdly yeah. fine yeah. and precision and all that. All your socks uh, is all good that people are doing. Well, I, I hear they're at the size now where quantum tunneling becomes an issue. <laughs> they, they have that and they start looking to the quantum computing. Mm -hmm. They start building additional things that really not based on silicon anymore. Mm -hmm. They're kind of revolution on that. So there is a school of folks doing that. Mm -hmm. But what has been the few on the fire is the application, right? I remember back then, it's always good to have Windows 3.1, you have the DOS, <laughs> you have to type everything in there, even earlier of that, right? Mm -hmm. We were, I was a telecommunication background, so we studied the uh, uh, breadboard, you have to get all this sure. electronic yeah. on it, you have to program in assembly. Nobody's really talking about that anymore because it's all abstraction, abstraction, abstraction. Absolutely. And then everybody starts thinking about more human logic. Yep. Computation become a language that is really helping people to grow in that. But that also fuels the upgrades of the 
GPUs, the mm -hmm. new Intel chips, and everything, uh, cloud computing, etc. With all that said, you're absolutely right. But with all that said, it's uh, humans' desire to make applications serve them better, right? Sure. That's where classical uh, way where I'm looking at is. I can't say I can't think about me saying it's classical, which is just a decade ago when iPhone came out. It's not just a device. What well, iPhone over the years, people hype about how faster, smarter it is. It's really the app store. Yes. It's really the application layer on top of the hardware make the whole world changed, yeah. right? With that mobility, that single hardware brought to the world, the application on top of it changes what human does, right? Now, to the point where the hardware is no longer sexy. I mean, I'm not, I've been using an iPhone X for two years now. I'm not even thinking about going to get a new one. Sure. Because that piece of software is, hardware is so powerful. It's amazing. It's me. amazing yeah. on that. But I only use five different apps on it. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't use more, but it consumes most of my time in the day. So that's where the, the, the next revolution is coming up, right? Think about the ARs, the yeah. MRs, uh, mixed reality. All those things are come into that is the hardware-empowered application sphere that will change the behavior. At the end of the day, all the computation we do is optimizing our behavior for the good or bad. I, there's the, like a Ready Player One is a, it's actually dooming sure. <laughs> reality of what mixed reality would be, but they could be better used, right? You have that, uh, I'm the first uh, batch of buyers of uh, the Microsoft HoloLens, mm -hmm. right? If you think about all that in the medical sphere, you got augmentation, you're doing surgery, you know, great pers uh, sure. kind of outcome of it. All those leverage uh, of the existing computing will help us to think more of how we can use the hardware and then in turn, really making them better. But sure. the evolution you're just saying is right. I really believe that's just the beginning where we're looking at. This. Sure. Well, let me ask you this. Um, where is the bottleneck currently? Um, is, is it in data science? Is it in data governance? Is mm. it in privacy? Or is it? Are, are we back to hardware? Where do you think the bottleneck mm. is? That's a, that's a great question. Um, I tend to say it's all above, right? Yeah. I, I, I tend to say is... How do we use this data? How do we use this in a way where we are privacy uh, aware mm -hmm. and uh, we're building something that can benefit people, right? Is, is, uh, it also goes to different politics. I, I think this is really a hand-in-hand -hand process of where people are looking at. Different country, you have different policy in terms of privacy. Gonna, I want to jump into that, actually. So let's, let's talk about okay. privacy. And, All right. Because uh, clearly we have, we're able to process, as we've talked about, massive, massive amounts of data in ways that we couldn't even conceive of. I would argue maybe as recently as five years ago. Yeah. We probably yeah. couldn't conceive of what's possible. Um, there are a lot of questions around how companies and governments use, use that data. Um, what new considerations do AI and ML introduce in figuring, figuring this out? Or are they not? Are the privacy issues broader than AI and ML in your mind? Um, well, so I think it's broader than mm -hmm. uh, the algorithm itself. It's how the practice, mm -hmm. practice is being set and how people are being educated on it, right? So for example, um, again, Apple versus Google. It's mm -hmm. a two different um, extremes of how they're leveraging uh, AI. For, from my understanding, 
Uh, I personally don't like Siri that much because it's always make. <laughs> I have mistake. not met anybody who says I love Siri. Poor girl. But <laughs> yeah, it always make mistakes. But I'm so impressed by Google Assistant. Right, mm -hmm. it's very accurate transcription and all that. But if you look at the fundamental of that, is what have you been exposed in doing that? Is where Google's training of the Google Assistant. It's across all the data points they got, regardless whether it's John's data or Derek's data, it's all the data they have, and they train the model of that. And if you kind of get a little bit understanding about neural network, of course, you'll get better results because you have sure. data points, you train the neurons better, and et cetera. Am I correct in saying, not, not to derail you here, but I just, no, I've, no. I've been meaning to ask you this. Uh, my understanding is that we're at the point where the algorithm really doesn't matter nearly as much as the training data. Uh, set. Absolutely. Okay. Garbage in, garbage out, right? If you have a broader data point, algorithm is the same. Algorithm mm -hmm. in the same in the way where, not to say they're coded the same way, efficiency, all that doesn't matter. The theory, the business logic are there are similar. Sure. There's breakthroughs, but they're not that revolutionary. So as when, a, when a Google at. is willing willing to push the envelope a little bit more in terms of what they use your data for, what data they collect, than an Apple, it doesn't matter how good the algorithm is, Google's going to have a better, a better outcome on it the neural will, networks. It will have, most of the time, it will have better. You will have the overfitting and all that issues you have. But in general, if you have more broader mm -hmm. and more targeted data, mm -hmm. you have better results. The algorithm, neural network is neural network, CNN, DNN is fundamentally the same. How efficient, effective is really based on the data. Now, with that said, I do applaud, and I personally like the Apple's approach is my data is my data, right? Yes. So the longer I use the system, the smarter it gets. Algorithm is all about retraining and ever training. So instead of I'm looking at, I want to be like John in terms of Google's training set, Derek can be still Derek in yeah. the Apple. The longer I use, the more data they collect about me, they can generate something that is relevant to me. So you heard it, folks. If you use, use Siri more, it'll suck less. I hope that's the case. <laughs> I'm not particularly sure how Siri is working, but yes. In theory, that's, that's what it is, right? Now, think about it in the new iPhone's feature, you can open up and in the morning it will prompt you and say, hey, 10 minutes go to work. They know they sure. go to work at 10 minutes, but they don't necessarily need to know, hey, John and Derek work at the same place. Sure. Um, I think AI will be more personalized and that's what we have been pushing because okay. that's an individual basis mm -hmm. in terms of data privacy and interaction privacy. And I think that will thrive as well. Now back to earlier when we started this is a little bit, uh, a segue into that is, about policy, right? Europe has a very strong policy in terms of GDPR, what can work, cannot be harvest, use, mm -hmm. whatever. And then the California is going to release their own way of similar to GDPR, what is out there. I think those are towards really good direction mm -hmm. in a way of a fashion of saying it will make actually us more valuable because Stratify go in and say, I don't need to John know John is John. Sure. I just need to know there's a data point. I don't need to know your gender. I don't need to know where you live or any of your PII. Whatever you reflect is good enough for us, right? Mm -hmm. It will be, I would think this is will be the say, uh, same setting of people that are more privacy mm -hmm. concerned versus people want to trade it off for benefits and efficiency. Sure. There's it's a tough. fine balance yeah. in there, right? Yeah, no, it's, it's certainly fascinating seeing 
companies like Facebook and Twitter and Google and, and Apple sort sort through this. Um, I, I've often uh, heard the argument made that Chinese companies have an advantage in AI uh, because their government may have a, a, a different viewpoint on privacy and ownership of data, certainly than Europe, but arguably even a different view than what, what the Amazons and the Facebooks of the world have. Um, and, and you couple that with the sheer number of people in China, there's way more data. There's just way more data. They've got access to it and they're willing to use it in ways that maybe uh, makes Europeans and Americans squeamish. Um, yeah. is, does this maybe create a scenario where we wake up and the Googles, Facebooks, Twitters, Apples, and Amazons of AI are not based in America? Does this seem likely to you? Should we care? I, I never thought <laughs> of that question particularly, but I like that training, that that's, uh, uh, train of thought. So I would say this, right? So China is playing catch up. I, I have one concrete example where they were. It's a, it's a company that I knew um, in China. I know the founders, I know the CEO, I know the whole C-suite. They were doing really well in terms of what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So they're harvesting HR resumes, right? Okay. So think about the resume. You can parse a lot of personal information out of it. Absolutely. And what they're doing is they're kind of through whatever way and, and getting all those data in, parse it, but then they start selling personal information. It starts telling the employer before this person is going to like leave the company wow. as alert. <laughs> and they were doing great. Sure. In terms of who they were and where they're making money, that's a lot of money they made. You know what? This year, just a couple of two months ago, police came into their office, killed the whole operation. Wow. Everybody was detained in the, uh, in, in the poli uh, police department and really go sorting through, cause citing privacy violation. Okay. So China is catching up on that because okay. it's basically human rights, right? Sure. Privacies and all that. So yeah. they may have their wild growth for mm -hmm. a couple of years, but rest assured because it's human nature and human rights at the fundamental level, they will crack it down. I wouldn't necessarily too concerned about Google's, Apple's and all that not being here because US is still a very it's a strong ground for innovation. It's mm -hmm. a strong environment for entrepreneurs like you and I to think about crazy things that we just want to prove it out. And, <laughs> and then when people Derek are says crazy them. things, he literally means crazy things. It so. is a lot of crazy <laughs> stuff that we think about it. Um, but, but the fact you're mentioning on the privacy side is more and more is the awareness. How can we make ethical AIs? How can we make this thing really being beneficial but not intruding people's privacy? That's fundamentally what Stratify is relying on, right? Sure. Privacy, security. But also those are the big companies that are looking at it. And I have to say this, to me, it's the trade-off, right? One of the, uh, another example of this is every Chinese or even Asian people, and a lot of American now, mm. is on WeChat. Sure. Think about one huge entity like Tencent having all those data. Yep. It's it's really empirical for them. Well, they do much up. more with it. It's not just a chat tool. Yeah, their point. payments, they're your payment, your daily, yep. everything, your daily, your daily uh, traveling. You go anywhere. You go on subway. You can scan the QR code and going all that. Mm -hmm. On that side, U.S. We are lagging. I mean, we're still relying on plastics. I always, when I go over to China for business trips, I'll just one phone, 
I don't need my sure. wallet. I don't need my card. So just scan everything out of it. Back in here, I was like, why am I carrying a wallet with 10 <laughs> different credit cards? It doesn't make sense, right? And Apple Watch and Apple Pay is a great concept. goes to the adoption. Sure. But to that note about concerns, I do have concerns. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, it's the privacy. What, what is privacy, right? Sure. It's, it's, it's everything that we have for Tencent is strictly confidential in terms of that convenience we're trading off. I wouldn't say one way or the other. I think there is a fine line sure. in there. Um, but I, I, I think consumers don't really understand privacy because I, I just look at a Venmo feed, for instance, and what people are willing to put out there that they're sending money to people right. for. It's amazing. It, it is, right? <laughs> it, and, and again, it's, it's really what you're absolutely right. Explain privacy to consumer better. Sure. I, I really want, instead of give me a 12-page yeah. and C's, right, or ter yeah. terms uh, for me to understand, here's what <laughs> your sure. things will be extracted. That will be more helpful. I think transparency is, is really, transparency really the key Transparency is there. very important. So, yep. yeah, very, very interesting. Um, so I'm going to shift gears here, and I said we'd talk about ecosystem. You've had me work on two really interesting uh, things for you that I'd love to get your you, you to talk a little bit about because I think your understanding strategically of how both of these work is, is very visionary and very inspiring. Um, so first off, uh, Stratified has launched the ecosystem um, that you talked about. I want to talk a little bit about what that is. And then um, talk, talk about why is that so critical to Stratified's growth? Yeah, and the, always where Stratified top loyalties are to our clients, right? So as we become four-year-old, four-and-a-half towards mm -hmm. five, a big, large enterprise coming to us using our platform and loving our platform. But now we start realizing, hey, we are limiting what they can get access because our vision of where it is. Right? Sure. We have not leveraging the brilliancy for all the other people outside of Stratify, what they can contribute. Yeah. And so, folks, what, what Derek's talking about here is fundamentally on the platform for Stratified you have to connect to data sources to pull right. those in and then to start running all of these different algorithms and data visualizations and such. But you got to get the data first. And when you think about the sheer number of systems that are out there, it, 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 there's just a lot of a lot of data and a lot of different systems in a lot of different formats with different security protocols and different formats. And, and, uh, and, and so that, I think, becomes a bottleneck to your point. Correct. It's a bottleneck on us because of engineering effort. And also, more importantly, it's a bottleneck for our clients not being able to get it, right? Sure. If they got it, always we'll think about augmented intelligence. Back in there is 360 degrees that they will be able to access to it. So that's a very important point. And I think back to your fundraising process before, it's really vision versus timing. Like if I have this vision about two years ago, uh, it's gonna be, it's not gonna help Stratify because we haven't proved that sure. we can do one thing right. You don't need saying, to connect to thousands of data exactly. sources if you What's don't the have point, thousands right? of customers. Correct, correct, sure. because that's really a chicken and egg. But it's post B round, post where our client's requirement will be like, oh, okay, this start making more sense, is more grounded for us to go that route to help organization because successful. The whole fundamental idea behind ecosystem is there's so many brilliancy outside of Stratified. Mm -hmm. Let's us create a market space for everybody to get a win. Mm -hmm. Our client will win on more use cases, more coverage on their necessity on decision making. 
outside brilliancy went on, hey, they have a conduit to sell and monetize what their brilliances are. Mm-hmm. And we will be focusing on privacy, security, on the data, on the AI workflow, make everybody um, a winner in this game. So you, you touched on it briefly there. Um, wh- how does this change? Like, what do, how, what do you view Stratified's role with your customers today as? And then when you've got a thriving ecosystem and thousands of developers developing, how does Stratified's role in this change for the customers? And it sounds like it's the privacy, it's the security, it's the governance, it's um, all the workflow, all of those things. But is, is, is there something else in, in the role for Stratified? Yeah, so we will be more like a trusted advisor mm-hmm. to the clients, right? So essentially, if you think about where we focus on enterprise feedback management side, we get we are already a trusted advisor saying, here is how you can do your digital transformation with our partner like MasterCard, Microsoft, mm-hmm. et cetera. We can tell our clients, you know what, this is the piece that you're missing in our system. We can review that. You probably want to optimize it. Now, with the ecosystem start building up, We'll become the trust advisor of different verticals, right? The, the area you're marching forward. That's the financial. second one I was going to talk to right. you about. Right, on yeah, the yeah. Serv- <laughs> financial services side sure. of the house, then right? Then pharmaceuticals. Pharmaceutical, yep. then automotive, then sure. different vertical, then also maybe more particular into compliances in financial, right? Payment in financial, you know, recalls in automotive. We can be mm-hmm. granular to that and become advisors to our clients of saying, hey, listen, Mercedes, here's really something you will be able to benefit from mm-hmm. because uh, John outside Stratify built this data connector. We have a arm, understand how this will We've benefit certified. Exactly, yep. exactly. At the end of the day, we think for them. And, and so we've talked about the developer side of the ecosystem, um, but you also envision this applying to data scientists and, and the algorithms. Can you maybe speak to, to that one as well? And that's absolutely. We stratify as an ecosystem really to bring all different uh, side of people in. Mm-hmm. So one of the key feature we're releasing right now is called bring your own model. Mm-hmm. What we have seen is the model as we had earlier conversation is model is nothing but data plus training algorithm. You have a model, right? And uh, it depends on what data you have or training algorithm you have. You have different focus models that you want to do. So concretely speaking, one of our clients want to do risk module mm-hmm. uh, that they can predict how risk your transactions are. Historically, what they're using are transactional data, right? You're swiping your cards and then and one. Mm-hmm. But they start seeing us and say, oh, okay, so we can use that model in your f- workflow, first getting hit by that, and pulling second, all your data. Pulling, and all pulling the, the additional yep. customer data in that to refine those models, right? For example, think about the cl- uh, classical use case way back when I have a credit card, I swipe in Charlotte, then I fly into the plane, I go to Seattle for a conference. My car got declined. It's like, hey, your car is going to spend about 3,000 miles from where you were yesterday. Sure. What the heck, <laughs> right? But that, that could be easily solved of saying, hey, I have a... Twitter message, I'm going to Seattle for sure. a conference tomorrow. Yeah. That would be a data point going to that risk modeling, but yeah. that's really outside of or my you historic. Or pull up Uber and, and hail exactly. a cab with your phone that you've authenticated through Face ID or... Absolutely, yeah, yeah. right? Those are the data points that should be put into the model decision that wasn't historically considered in the model itself. So now we can help them to provide additional data source in this and then really link that together and make better decision. But is Stratify going to be able to touch their privacy data who generate the risk model? 
not in a million years. Okay. And that's nothing we want to touch on because yep. Wells Fargo going to trade that on their proprietary data. Bank of America is going to trade that on theirs. We don't care. We just care your inference model, which is the decision-making part. Mm -hmm. You can bring to this and connect to any model you train in our platform to make better decisions. So, so for folks who don't know machine learning or, or artificial intelligence and how all of this works, I, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but you, you create a training model, you, you pull in a data set, and you train that model. And once the model has been trained, you're able to to shrink it back down because by now you don't need all of that data because you've trained the model and it knows how Absolutely to operate right. on that data. And that becomes the inference model. Correct. Is that correct? Okay. Correct. Again, just wanted to clarify for our listeners. Um, I've probably learned more in the five months I've been working with Stratified <laughs> than I did in the prior three years. And so I, I take it for granted, but that was a concept that took me a while Absolutely. to wrap my head around. Yeah. So, um, great. So, so the second thing that you've got, got me working on and, and you alluded to this earlier is building out a vertical practice and can you speak to why this represents a strategic shift for for stratified and and then speak to and this is the part i don't think i ever made the connection until you you kind of keyed me in on this but how does ecosystem enable this shift towards a kind of a vertical focus absolutely i think well, I, again fundamentally think about who we are stand beside with those are the clients right mm -hmm. our clients is not generalist our client is not about hey, i know every single area i know sure. single every ai mercedes knows how to make great cars yes so. that's about it right yeah and yeah. you know wells knows how to lend money through credit cards correct and and now it. it become very important for us to say hey we build a ground ai great ai workflow foundation mm -hmm. how is um Joe Smith's gonna use it in the financial setting in mm -hmm. terms of compliance. Verticalization becomes super important in for them to think about, oh, okay, you got great thing, but here's how I can understand all different features of your platform can be helpful. For example, in compliance case, in finance, you need to hit voice to text. Mm -hmm. You need to hit our data analytic layer. You need to hit our AI module CRM. to be simplified, right? Yep, yep. C CM, uh, CRM and all that get together, data sources. But fundamentally, you need to have somebody come in and tell Joe Smith, you don't need to worry about piecing the technology piece together, but here's how you should interpret this. If this sure. thing happens, what's your reaction to it? That's benefiting to his job that he need to work on. Sure. So that's where I see you as a great uh, leader in that sector because your consulting background, in payment, in level, in all that financial related sector, not just because the relationship you have, but more so about your knowledge about in that vertical saying, oh, okay, listen, here is tech stack, but that's only 25% of what matters. That 75% is the interpretation. Sure. And, and, and to me, it's, that it's, it's really speaking the same language as, as these folks. And a great example, um, Matt, uh, Madden was able to throw together just a fabulous dashboard that uh, used all the existing technology and existing visualizations and existing data connectors e even. And he was able to go in and build a taxonomy on f for mobile wallets and mobile banking right. applications. And he was even able to drill into Zelle, which is a payment network that's operated by by, by a bank-owned entity yeah. and process, I, I want to say, $49 billion of transactions last quarter. Wow. But, that, but the banks don't 
even though they own it, they don't control it. It's a separate entity that controls it. And we're able to give them insights through this dashboard into what their customers are saying about Zelle so that they can identify, hey, someone's complaining about Zelle that we need to get on the phone with early warning who owns the network. But that's, that's an example to me of a vertically focused solution. Hey, here's, here's how we can apply AI to help you run your business better because we know that you're all operating on this Zelle network. Correct. So Correct. yeah, it's, it's, it's an exciting development for sure. Um, so I, we talked about the bottlenecks in technology and, um, and, and how they kind of evolve. And, and as you, solve one bottleneck, you come to another. And I, I tend to think of the growth of a company's organizational structure in a very, very similar model. Um, yep. <laughs> sometimes your bottleneck is sales, sometimes it's marketing. Never the founder or CEO though, right? <laughs> Most of the time it is. <laughs> it, o it always is. <laughs> yep. not, in your, not in your case, but certainly Hopefully in not. Um, but it's, it's operations, it might be recruiting. Um, were any of these bottlenecks particularly painful to overcome in getting to where you are today? Um, well, yes. Well, I, I think it's really the way I'm looking at this is a pendulum swing, right? Mm -hmm. there, there is always a swing between products and clients and sure. sales side. And there's never a perfect balance. There's never still, uh, there's some thing that move ahead. Let's just say you move ahead on the sales side, you have a lot of tech that you have to catch up on the engineer sure. side. It's all swing. Um, I, I really think it's the challenges I had in Stratified is have a clear understanding about the structure, right? Think about a company that has four rounds of funding going mm -hmm. to the half, uh, like 50 million and above. You start with a startup. You start with three co-founders together, very tight, you grow to 10, you grow to 20, 30, now we're about 90 people globally, right? Mm -hmm. Now you become a young company where you need to know, hey, who? what is the structure? Because yeah. it's no longer Derek knows everybody doing every little bit things. Sure. It become management, management, structure, and all that. That took us, that took, not us, I mean, to your point is, CEO will be the bottleneck is, if I don't proactively think about this, then it becomes problems as mm -hmm. everybody's chaotic. Everybody's just doing a lot of things themselves. Sure. You're coming to kind of reduce that and let them to be more focused. And that had been proven one of the pivotal moments of my leadership in this is you ought to start thinking structure. You ought to start putting leaders, putting managers mm -hmm. in the position and for them to run this. And that's uh, hard to do because you, the reason you're successful is because you're good at what you do, but now correct. you're handing the reins over to somebody else. It's, it's, I think it's easy to say it's very hard to do. It is. Until you right. get in there and, and it's it realization there. about what you can be best. What, what can Derek be best in mm -hmm. my 24 hours a day versus where we can just offload a lot of that to professional who are already proven sure. they're great at what they do. And a lot of that is being, uh, been good optimization after our fundraising, mm -hmm. after time that we have a little bit more to think through structure for the greaterness. But yeah, that's that's one area that would say, hey, yeah. watch out for that. Yeah. You, you will have it at some point. And I want to be cognizant of your time because I know you're a busy CEO with, at a fast-growing company. You have about, you got about 10 minutes left. Is that yeah. correct? Okay, cool. So, um, so, so I'll jump into a couple of other other uh, topics that I wanted to make sure that, that I that I hit on here. Um, why you've told me before 
that that you want to ring the bell. <laughs> um, can you talk about why that is a goal, and is that is, is that a goal that's you know is is it stretching too far for a Charlotte-based company? Um, well, so I'll answer it in the reverse way, right? <laughs> it is stretching. Um, it is a stretch goal, mm -hmm. but I don't think it's stretching too far for Charlotte-based company. Let's look at Avalie Exchange. Mm -hmm. Let's look at all the great companies at Passport and all that. They have definitely, they are the pioneers in the city, in the sure. area where they can ring the bell. So for me, it's a both a personal as, a, as well as a logical decision why we want to set the course of that. Let's talk about the logical part, right? Because the reason why we want to be the ringing the bell, we have to, and I had to bring a, powerful CFO in this, mm -hmm. structure our finance the same way, get all things in a very structured, reportable fashion to prepare ourselves for the IPO three and a half, three and a half, four years down the road. It actually, in, in, in a way where a lot of people don't tell you is, it prepares you for an M&A in the process as well. Sure. So once people file their K one or S one, I can't remember that. I think it's the S one, so that they can so they can get, get acquired, acquire, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Classical case, Quadrix, sure. a billion dollar exit because they already closed. They filed everything they're yep. about to, and SAP come in double the price of what their roadshow is. So for logically speaking, we want to have same thing with leadership and organization. Have the structure mm -hmm. that will show the maximum return for our shareholders, which are all our employees mm -hmm. who are stockholders in, down the road, but then structure it in the right way. And the personal reason for this is really, this is my brainchild. Mm -hmm. um, this is my, my co-founder's brainchild of Stratified. It's, it's hard to say, hey, let's cut tight, let's sell it, make money. Money become immaterial mm -hmm. to some extent, then to see this because it's successful and making names of itself. So that's my personal reason to say, hey, what is the biggest outcome IPO it is, IPO it is. in terms of awareness and et cetera. Yeah. Well, and it's great because the IPO seems to be coming back as, a, as an exit for, for tech companies. And also, yes. Yeah. Um, we've seen recent Charlotte exits and you've alluded to a couple, of, you know, to a couple of, of successful companies here, but Map Anything had had, had an exit to Salesforce. Deal Cloud had a very successful exit. Um, Avid Passport, they seem to be well on their way to yep. to, to heights. And w I know your answer on where Stratified is going now. Uh, <laughs> what other local companies do you have your eye on as the next generation here in Charlotte? Um, that's a great question. Um, you mentioned. Many of them that are their later stage, right? Mm -hmm. People raising D rounds, E rounds, and mm -hmm. all that stuff. Where my focus right now is on the earlier stage, right? Sure. So as we move into a new office space, one of the area that I really want to build out is an incubator space, mm -hmm. right? Smaller companies, younger generation of entrepreneurs coming in with a sheer idea. We want mm -hmm. you to be in our space. Don't worry about the desk station, co-share, mm -hmm. whatever, right? but also leveraging our network to facilitate the women in tech, minority in tech uh, mm -hmm. that people are looking at it. That's what my passion about, particularly in startups in the city. I may not be able to name one or two the particular ones I'm looking at, Sure. but I see great potentials if we create a environment or lack of better word, ecosystem for them to bubble up, 
that would be an ideal case for me personally to benefit and Great. support from. Well, so one of the companies that um that I know you know um it's is a uh, Skipper who's who's done very well. They've done the second round. I just interviewed yeah. Maggie earlier this week. Um, and uh, shifting gears here a little bit, obviously there are not a lot of women in, in tech. This is a very well documented problem, and I've really admired the gender diversity at Stratified since I started working with you here. Um, was this a deliberate decision to hire women, or did it just kind of work out that way? And and why do you think so many firms struggle to get the, a similar diversity? That's a great topic, and I'd love to talk more about that, of course. So this is certainly a deliberate uh, mm-hmm. effort. It's very much to my heart is the diversity, right? Especially women in tech and et cetera, coming from university, my wife being a professor at university, mm-hmm. I'm looking at supporting all brilliant ideas they have. Now, the heart, this step is the first step, right? How, if you are not very purposely uh, looking into your recruiting team and telling them, hey, let's have a very conscious decision. Mm-hmm. This is your area we wanna push for, you won't get the result. So it has been, I would say, first year we're survival mode, we don't really think too much about it, but in 2016, we're more and more, I'm more and more thinking about it. Now- What, what are the numbers, is it? So we're approaching 50% 50, now. 50, 50, wow, that's, that's fantastic. We're approaching yeah. 50% of uh, women in Stratify now, which is great. Yeah. And then it's now, it's also about empowerment, right? Mm-hmm. Think about our, not just 50%, those are not just sales jobs mm-hmm. for, female employees, those are engineering jobs. Sure. Those are hardcore back-end jobs. That's even even hard to find and rare to find candidates like that. And we're really very much uh, pleasant and welcoming more and more those um, women in tech uh, to represent in Stratify. Now, what I've started seeing, the, the good outcome of this is, once you start building a foundation of diversity, it's easier Not to maintain it. It's yeah. much it's much more natural yeah. for other people to start getting that and you become stronger, right? Not just women, but also minority as well, right? Sure. As we're building into the company. So I'm really proud of that decision, a conscious yeah. decision of this is the area we want to go. And I'm really proud that how much robustness yeah. that they have bring Stratify to. Now you should you should be applauded for it because a lot of companies talk about it, but but you guys are living it here. So I'm gonna. I know you've got to get here in a second, but I'm gonna leave you with one thought along those same lines. Your daughter is probably a little young to have picked <laughs> up any tech practice. What is she? Uh, three and a half. Three and a half. Okay, she's adorable. Uh, as she gets older, what technologies are you going to suggest to her if and when she asks? A great question. So I, I actually this. I'm this crazy father. I say, hey, when you are four, you start learning Python. Okay. You start learning a computational language that you use. It's a machine learning company, folks. He has to say it's Python. <laughs> <laughs> no, besides drums and pianos and all that. But I think right. It, it's it, it's really important for kid at a younger age to develop STEM. Mm-hmm. Now it's STEAM, right? I, I think firmly believe in STEM that trains a different brain uh, side of the brain of yours yes. to be more logical, reasoning, looking at it. And um, I, for one, would say future jobs, art plus science, it's beneficial for everybody to pick up programming language, just sure. a secondary one. 
Absolutely. No, that, that's great advice. And, and you and I, we, we both sponsored uh, with, uh, at the Passport event with um, Project Connect Scientists, yeah. the Connect Four charity. Absolutely. And yeah. it was great. Um, they brought out uh, that little girl who came out and talked about the Absolutely. project that she was working on developing code. And it, it's just, uh, it, it, it's great. We really do need to, 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 to focus on, on getting wi uh, women interested in, in the field. Absolutely. And more of that is think about the creativities. Mm -hmm. Every young kid is bringing to this women and sure. female uh, and boys, right? Mm -hmm. Girls, boys and girls come in, become creative. A as we talked earlier, way back, Stratify are the foundation. Mm -hmm. My whole thing about this is there are so many potentials you and I can't foresee how sure. people can use it. And that's the most exciting. You wake up to a no. You wake up to encouragement. Yeah. Um, that's keep me up at this. <laughs> well, that's great. Well, thank you, Derek. I really appreciate you taking time out of your uh, out of your busy schedule. I really admire what you've done here. And, and I love your story. And that's the whole reason I created this podcast was that I, I realized that I've got access to some people who are very interesting like yourself. And so it really is a gift for you to share your, your opinions with us. So I appreciate thank you so it for much. the platform. All right, thank awesome. You. Thanks. Cheers. Take care, Derek. Cheers.